0: One of the great investment books of all times is Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, which is the fictional biography of perhaps the most famous financial speculator of all times, Jesse Livermore. There's no doubt that even today, hundred years later, we can all learn from the experiences from successful investors. And so today I appropriately title this episode, Reminiscences of Three Trend Followers, namely Michael Adam, David Harding and Marty Lewick, also known as the founders of AHL. In this short clip, which is from when I sat down with them in Abbey Road Studios in London, at their 30 year anniversary of when they founded AHL, the conversation turned out to be much more witty, inspiring, and far more entertaining than it has any right to be, and finally shed light on one of the best-kept secrets of modern finance. So sit back and relax and enjoy these truly unique takeaways from my conversation with Michael, David, and Marty. And if you would like to listen to the full conversation, and I hope you do, just go to toptradersunplugged.com forward slash RT11, That is where the conversation starts. My understanding of Winton and Aspect in the early years was that both firms had an emphasis on trend following within your strategies. And from what I've observed over the years, this seems still to be the case for for you, Marty, at Aspect, but perhaps less so for for you, David. So let me come to you first on, on this one, David. If my observation is right, when did you begin to move away from the classical trend-following approach, if I can call it that? And also, what was your motivation for doing so? It's a question of degree. There's still a fair amount of trend-following in what we
1: do. But when we were doing our research in the early 90s, we, we did a literature review and looked at what else, what other opportunities there were, and we scoured the literature. And time and time again, we, you know, we came across academic papers referring to what is now called carry, mm. the phenomenon of carry. Mm. And so we focused a lot of our research on that, and we developed a bunch of trading systems which used that. And we even got as far well as implementing those those trading systems, um, but they all went a bit wrong in the um, ERM. in When in Sterling exited the ERM, and at that stage we had quite a bureaucratic sort of board process, and it had become hard to take risks. And so all those systems were sort of taken out again. The only significance is that then went on and worked very, very well for the next 20 years, as well as trend-following, actually. And, and you know, we didn't use that until maybe 2005 or 2006 or 2007, but it worked extremely well. And there were other things that we were developing, you know, back then, which also worked subsequently. though not in the form that we were developing. Sure. Um, there are some things we developed back then which we still use... We still use today, okay. but to really expo- f- fully exploit the potential of this kind of research, you have to move into equity markets. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long, long, long time to, you know, develop all the infrastructure and expertise to deal with thousands of equities, databases, corporate actions, and so on and so forth. I mean, by the time we'd done that, the easy money in convertible art was long gone. That mm-hmm. was long gone after two thousand and eight, really, yeah. uh, and a number of other strategies. The easy money was long gone. My own pitch is I just don't think the markets will ever be, there'll never be no opportunities for people to do more research in science. That's my view. Some people think we're on the verge of grand, a grand unified field theory of everything, a grand and the, the unified field theory of efficient markets, and I just don't believe that. I know, I know people say, well, what is it then? What is the next big thing then? Well, I mean, I don't know. That's
0: why you have to do research. <laughs> Very true. But you've stayed true to your roots in, 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 to a large extent. To, to degrees, two degrees. I, I, I think that aspect
2: was predicated on this trend-following approach being an important utility that was being overlooked by the investment community. It really did deserve a place in people's portfolios. And the irony, I think, this is all with the benefit of, of hindsight, but the irony is that we spent a lot of time doing a lot of research in order to ameliorate some of the characteristics of trend following. Because trend following can be quite a a challenging utility, return profile for investors to hold on to. You know, equities tend to go up, 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 and then kick you in the teeth and then recover and go up, up, up. Managed futures have a sort of opposite profile where they tend to make consecutive losses and then have a very strong run that makes money. And that's intrinsically quite challenging for investors to hold on to, but it's really valuable in in the portfolio. So the irony was, was that a lot of the research we were doing was motivated by a desire, if you will, to sugarcoat the medicine. We we put all of these other features like carry that David r- refers to and and other component pieces in a small dosage. You didn't want to take away the characteristics of trend following, but that was that was the outlook. It was very much still focused on on trend following as the core of the business. Of course, these days we've gone on to do a, a, a range of other things because clients. Want a, a range of other solutions. I, th- I think the industry, and we can we can talk about that. But I think the industry has matured, or the investors have matured, that it's not. This may I don't know if David would agree with this observation, but it's not now as much a world of, I'm the investment manager. Let me tell you what's mm-hmm. good for you, and just plonking the, the 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 product on the table. I think it's much more of a consultative exercise where within reason you know investors know what's in their portfolio they know what they're looking for and and firms like ours you know have the component pieces that can put together solutions or products that that provide a lot of different utilities so it's not it's no longer just just one thing
0: sure I mean, I can't help you. Uh, I can't help. Asking you, I can't help <laughs> you if you think the decision to maybe stay true or to trend following for at least a, a while longer is is kind of the reason why Winton has kind of leaped the whole industry when we come to size. I mean, it really is. There is a difference now. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I want to circle back to you, David, on on the question of size, actually, and and if my memory serves me right, and correct me if I'm wrong here, at some point you decide to lower the volatility of your program a bit. So if that is correct, what was your sort of thinking behind doing so, and and what was the benefit that it had for for your business and, and for your clients?
1: Well, I think I'm always driven by the memory of October the 19th, 1987. I remember that night very, very vividly mm. and yeah. the next day. Yeah. And on that day, the stock market was down 21% and the futures were down 30% because the carry broke free. Mm. So if you're double leveraged along the stock market through futures on and that happens again, you'll be down 60 mm. It'll be called
3: so, for margin for us so, to sell. So I
1: don't want it to be down, you know, yeah. I know not want my sure. in- investors ever to be down 60 right. of an evening, yeah. you know, and that only happened one day in my life But I want, you know, I don't ever want that sure. to happen. So there's, a, there's what they fashionably now call a hard stop on how much exposure I'm yeah. willing to put investors Sure. I'm willing to undertake on behalf of investors yeah. uh, and, and, and and that's and my way of dramatizing the fact I'm concerned about sure. you know the I won't say the fat tales because that implies you know something that happens once a year. Well, I'm right. talking about something which happens once every twenty years. So.
0: <laughs> but but also, could you say that losing less when you do lose is actually the way you win in investing overall? I mean, is there something to that?
3: well i mean this I mean, this remains an area of interest for me, but in a completely Bizarrely, I'm still in the investment management business, but in a completely different field. So in deep value investing, which is also challenging for investors because deep value investing consists of most of the time doing absolutely nothing, which, of course, investors find extremely difficult. Investment managers find it even more difficult, I would point out. So, um, I mean, last year, the fund, I think, only added two, did two trades, essentially, the entire year. That was it. So I think you know, with the profile of what you do and the way it's perceived by investors, matching those two things together, it remains. So I'd slightly, I would slightly disagree with Marty. I think it's as psychological, psychologically difficult as it's always been for investors to do the things that they should do mm-hmm. just because of human nature. Mm-hmm. And if you take trend following or you take deep value investing – you could argue that the reason they actually work is that they're so difficult to hold. <laughs> they're so difficult to yes, hold psychologically. Uh, and That's that m- the
1: contrarian view of investing. Uh, and you, know, you have to be a contrarian to succeed. To,
3: to succeed. Yeah. So that managed futures and trend following are not the only contrarian investment approaches. But I think that's the sort of central challenge of maintaining a business around a contrarian approach to investment management is, is how do you match that to the psychological challenge for your investors of holding what you're offering and it doesn't matter if intellectually they get that it's in their interest truly to diversify diversification is the hardest thing to do psychologically sometimes for an i investor. say to
1: people do you want to be happy or rich
3: yes <laughs> so in other
1: words when you're out, of step, with, when you're out of step with you, yeah. you know the social the but social pressure you are unhappy yeah. but that is the right thing to do
3: yeah and so it's very very hard to do so I think that remains a My big challenge. My next life,
1: the answer will be happy. <laughs> well, I'm joking, but I mean, uh, maybe rich makes you happy. But it's um, a tough, uh, as, it's a tough road um, to hoe, as Matthew, as Mike, Michael yeah. says. I mean,
3: there are all sorts of reasons why. So I got back involved with with, with Aspect, and one of the key events for me that, that that led me to the conclusion that I should definitively stop is that actually at Aspect we had a market neutral equity program, mm-hmm. which was very successful. It at the opposite profile, so it had produced a very well a mediocre return with. With, with really quite high probability and, and and was going extremely well. Luckily, we were scared enough of leverage not to have levered it to the... Levered? That's yeah. the American term. Leveraged, that's the that's the European term, uh, as much as some of our competitors. But I thought, we thought it was safe because it was so unlikely to be taken apart by our counterparts because yeah. in order to, you know, break the back of the strategy would require... A whole bunch of closely correlated stocks to be driven apart to the extent that surely liquidity would 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 come in on the other side. We were completely wrong. Mm. Completely wrong. At a low liquidity point in equity markets, mm. our counterparts did a you know a classic squeeze on market neutral funds and wiped all of them out. Wow. Interestingly. Pretty much except for quake. us. And that's what was pretty much the event. That led me to think i've got to stop doing this, because mm-hmm. you know yes i f- I feel we were lucky enough, I found some, you know I feel that we found two or three things back in the day, but I thought if that strategy can be taken apart, then I'm no longer confident that this it's is, time to be happy it right? was it was time to get out and be happy because sure. it was not a happy experience to watch that market neutral fund Absolutely. get taken apart by our counterparts as you know and and you know. I shouldn't go into detail as to who those counterparts are and I won't go into detail as to how we escape by the skin of our teeth. Let's just say, if I needed needed a reminder of the challenge of doing this, it's mostly psychological, both for the people doing it and for the investors in it. And I think that's a constant and a remaining challenge and one I could really do without, frankly.
0: That's it for now. And remember that if you want to listen to the full conversation with Michael, David, and Marty, please go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash RT11. That is where the conversation starts. Now, if you enjoyed this short, insightful clip from a past episode of the show, then you will love the free book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following, and it includes some of my best insights on this perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. And you can get a free copy today if you go to toptradersonplot.com forward slash book right now to start your own journey. Again, just go to toptradersonplot.com forward slash book and make sure to subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel where I will be back next week with more exciting and engaging conversations. Until next time, take care.